All right, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We are in continuing in Romans chapter 8. And we are going to be focused on, once again, verse 30 this morning. For a little bit of context, I'll read some verses surrounding it. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me, please, as we read together Holy Scripture. I'm going to begin in verse 28, and I'm going to read through to verse 34. This is God's holy word for us, His people. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This is God's holy word. Father, thank you for this word. We pray that you would bless the reading and now especially the preaching of your word. Write your eternal truths upon our hearts and may we be changed. For your name's sake, for your glory, and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we focused on verse 30. We talked about the golden chain. The golden chain. That these four things in verse 30, predestination, calling, justification, glorification, these are four links and an eternal chain. A chain that links eternity past with eternity future. God's eternal plan of redemption seamlessly linked from beginning to end. And we saw that God is the one who forges each and every link in these chains. God is the one who does the predestining. God is the one who does the justifying, the calling, and the glorifying. He is our Savior from first to last and from beginning to end. And we said that this chain is what holds us fast to Him. This is your hope and confidence, Christian. Romans 8.30 When you wonder, will I make it another week in the Christian life? Will I be able to stand tomorrow? How do I know that I'm not going to be like Judas in the end? Or like Peter and deny the Lord? Ten years from now, twenty years from now, what what assurance can I have? Who knows what the future holds? I don't know what I'm going to do next month. How do I know? You're in a golden chain. God is the one who does these four things. 
And if you're a recipient of one of these, you're a recipient of all of them. There are no dropouts. Everyone who's predestined is justified. And everybody who's justified has been called. And everyone who's been called and justified, you will be glorified. This is your hope. Just like in Romans 8.28, how do I know that all things work together for my good? How do I know these bad things that I've had to experience that were really rough and, and almost took me out? How do I know God has something good planned? Paul says you can know because God is in control. God is in charge and he's made a promise. How do I know I'm going to make it to the end? Because you're wrapped in a golden chain of redemption. We saw that last week. We also considered God's call a little more in depth. God's call of us. We saw the order of the call was very important. That God calls us before we are converted. And in fact, God's call is what creates our conversion. God's call finds us in our sin, causes us to be born again. And the first thing that a born again person does is cling to Christ. We're like people with eyes who have no sight. We're blind in our sin, but God gives us sight by his effectual call. And the first thing you do with that new sight is you look at the cross and you see the glory of your Savior and you believe and you bow the knee at that cross. The call creates our faith. The order is very important because we can't free ourselves from sin, but God can. And thank God that he has for you if you belong to him. That's last week. We come now to the next word in the text. Verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Guys, we're halfway through our series. Today's the midpoint. And so far, we have seen a lot of doctrines. A lot of core doctrines, a lot of core building blocks for our firm foundation. Let me just list off the ones we've seen so far. Absolute sovereignty of God. Unconditional election. Sovereign predestination of the end and the means to the end. Sanctification. Adoption. Membership and fellowship in the church. Original sin. Total depravity, effectual calling. We've seen a lot of doctrines so far. Core doctrines, fundamental to our firm foundation. Building blocks in the Christian faith. And we have more doctrines that are going to come in the second half of the series. But here's what I want us to think about this morning. If you had to choose only one doctrine, just one, That was the most central, the most important, the cornerstone of our foundation. Without that, the whole thing collapses. If you had to choose the cornerstone doctrine, most important and most central to the whole edifice of the Christian faith, what would you choose? What would... That doctrine be. Well, the Protestant reformers were very, very clear and explicit on which doctrine they believed was the cornerstone 
And that's the doctrine we come to today. That's the clue, right? The one we're talking about today. (laughs) No mystery there. The reformers believed that what we're going to discuss today was the most important doctrine of the whole Christian faith. You lose this, you have another religion. This week, as we continue in Romans 8.30, we come to this next link in the golden chain. We've talked about predestination. That's very important. Last week, we talked about sin and God's call, and that's vital. You lose sin, you lose God's call, you lose a whole lot. Those are important building blocks in our foundation, but this one today is the most important. Justification. According to Luther... According to Calvin, this doctrine is what they called the hinge on which the whole Christian faith turns. This is the article on which the church stands or falls. This is the dividing line between Protestants and Roman Catholics. Some of us are Protestant by convenience and not conviction. If someone were to ask you, why aren't you, why aren't you Catholic? Here's the dividing line. This is why the reformers and Protestants have the name Protestant. Why they protest Rome, the Roman Catholic Church. This is the dividing line. How you answer this question that we're going to think about is all important. Here's the question. How can a sinner be right with God? How can a sinner be right with God? How can I have a gracious God? Where do I find a gracious and loving God? How can I know that God will be merciful to me, a sinner? How you answer these questions, as I said will determine what kind of religion you have, what kind of God you're serving, what sort of gospel you're believing, and ultimately what kind of Savior you're trusting in. Justification is the cornerstone in our firm foundation. So a lot's at stake on this one. A lot's riding on us getting this one right this morning. Now, Paul has more to say about justification. He's already talked about it a ton in Romans before we get to this chapter. But he's going to have more to say later in our in the verses we've covered this that I read this morning, verses 33 and 34. And so we're going to look at those verses too. In these verses, we're going to see three aspects of justification. We're going to see the nature of justification, the basis of justification, and the means of justification. It's nature, it's basis, and it's means. And as we look at justification, we think through these three aspects in Scripture and with other passages brought in alongside. We learn this vital truth. Because we are justified only in Christ by faith, we must learn to live as forgiven sinners. That's where we're going this morning. So let's begin. 
First point, the nature of justification. Let's look a little closer at verse 33, 8.33. Paul says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now take that text and ask yourself, what is the nature of justification? What is it? Based on this verse, what is it? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. What kind of language is this? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Where, where, where are charges filed? Right, this is courtroom language. This is legal, judicial language. Who will file any charge against one of God's chosen ones? Who can bring a charge against a Christian? That's his question. Charges. Or in the next verse, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. So charges and condemnation. That's the opposite of being justified. Being charged and condemned. Guilty and sentenced. It's the opposite of that. Justification is about a legal, judicial, courtroom verdict. Here's the nature of justification. It's declarative. It is a declaration of righteousness. That you are declared just. You are pronounced righteous. It's about a declaration. It is not, therefore, a process that you have to go through. And this is where Protestants and Catholics go their separate ways. For us, biblically, justification is a declarative act of God. It happens in a moment of time. In Catholicism, it's not an act, it's a work. It's a transformational process that you have to undergo. Biblically, justification is you are declared righteous. In Catholicism and other religions, it is you become more and more righteous. You grow in your inner righteousness. You get more righteous. You get more holy. You get more godly. You grow in your obedience. You get better and better, becoming more and more righteous. That's a process. Now, that process happens, right? That's called sanctification. That's not justification. And in Catholicism, this is the big problem. The two get collapsed into the same thing. So that the way you get justified is by becoming more and more just on the inside and in your life. And once you get to the end of that process, then you'll be fully and finally justified. Because then you'll be fully just in your heart, in your soul. But that's not what Paul's saying here. Because that process isn't about courtrooms. It's not about pronouncements. That's not a declarative act. But Paul here says justification is the opposite of being charged and condemned. Justification is a declarative act. And there are three parts to this declaration. We'll just run through these. First of all, we are cleared of all charges. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? 
It is God who justifies. We are cleared of all charges. Our sins have been taken away. It's called the remission of sins. The remission of sins that they are taken away. Charges are dropped. You are cleared of those charges. Second aspect, you have a change of status in God's court. Before the bar of God's judgment and justice, your status as guilty, undeserving sinner gets changed. Now, all of a sudden, you, guilty though you are, you get pronounced not guilty. Imagine this. You're in court. There is a mountain of evidence that beyond any shadow of a doubt proves, proves, absolutely proves that you are guilty and that you deserve capital punishment. There's no getting out of this. The eyewitness testimony confirms it. The DNA test confirms it. You name it. The evidence is insurmountable. You are guilty entirely. And you admit it. (laughs) Yes, I'm guilty. I deserve the punishment. And then all of a sudden, the judge's verdict comes back. I find the defendant not guilty. Unbelievable. Not guilty? God pronounces you in the right. He justifies you at the throne of judgment. Not guilty. Your status goes from guilty to not guilty by His declaration. That's how the declaration works. Just like when you're getting, when you get married and the person officiating the, the wedding says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. That makes it official. The pronouncement brings into being a brand new status. Now we have two married people where before they weren't. But now he pronounces them husband and wife and they are now married. God pronounces us not guilty and we are now not guilty. Charges dropped, pronounced innocent. You get to go free. Third part, charges dropped, status is changed, and then what happens? Your condemnation is canceled. The punishment and condemnation that your sin deserves is canceled. And this is where the metaphor has to change. Now, instead of being a a defendant before the court going through a trial where you're innocent until proven guilty, now it has to change because we know you're guilty. Now the metaphor is this. You are a condemned criminal on death row. You are bound fast in prison. You are in the dungeon awaiting the king's justice. You have no plea. You have no leverage. You have nothing to bargain with. You are doomed. And the king summons you out of the pit in your shackles and he ushers you into his room, into his throne room, and you stand before him and you think, this is it. Off with his head. I'm done. 
He's going to slay me today. And the king looks at the condemned criminal and he says, I pardon you. Take off his chains. Release him. You can go free. That's where we are. That's justification. Charges have been dropped. Your status of guilty has changed to not guilty. And your condemnation, your penalty, your punishment is pardoned. And you get to go free. You know what that means, Christian? That means that you are a forgiven sinner. You're a sinner. And you know it, and I know it, and God knows it. And yet you get to go free. You are a forgiven sinner. God has justified you from all your sin. And that's why he says, who can bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. No charge of sin can stick to you, Christian. I don't care how awful it is. I don't care how long you've been doing it. I don't care how twisted your motives were. If it was planned and premeditated sin and you knew it was disobedient and you did it anyways. And you've been living that way your whole life. No length of sinning and no depth of sinning and no type or kind of sinning can stick to you if you've been justified. There's not one sin the devil can hold against you in court and say, Lord, this person should not be allowed into heaven. Look at the sin he's committed. Look at what she's done. Look how she's lived her life. You know what your response at that moment is? You're exactly right, devil. When he whispers into your conscience, you're guilty. You deserve nothing from God. He's not going to forgive you not one more time. You're disgusting. You should be disgusted with yourself. You're useless. You're worthless. What a sinner. Just forget it. Just curse God and die. Just get it over with. He's charging you. He's accusing you. That's what Satan means. Satan comes right out of Hebrew. And it just means the accuser in the court. Guilty. 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 Guilty, condemned, finished. That's what Satan whispers at us. That's what your guilty conscience is prone to do because you know he's right. You know he's right. You're a sinner. Can't argue with him. This text comes in and it says, that's right, devil. You got me right. But I'm not standing here in my own righteousness, am I? I never claimed to be just. God says I'm righteous. God tells me my sins have been forgiven. God tells me my status has changed. He's already gave the verdict. And it's not guilty. So get lost. And you just have to preach that to yourself. When you feel it and you know it, you have to preach that to yourself and say, I've been justified. And the only way you can believe that when you're at the bottom of despair over your own continuing struggle with sin is to read a verse like this and decide, God, your word is true and I will stake my soul on it. That's all you've got. But that's all you need.
when you know in your heart how sinful you are and you feel guilty. This is where you have to turn. You are a sinner, but you're a forgiven sinner. No charge will stick to you. Not even the charges you make against yourself. So you have to learn to live like this. And one thing that, beyond just telling your own conscience to believe the gospel and telling the devil to take a hike with his accusations because God has justified you, Another way you can begin to learn to live this way, to use this truth of justification, is that when you fight and bicker and argue with your spouse or your family members or your friends, and you think, I've got to prove I'm right. I have to make this person tell me how right I am. I've got to defend myself and justify myself You are wrong, and I am right, and you need to tell me that I'm right. I do not want to give you the satisfaction of being right and me being wrong. No. I'm winning this argument, and you're going to bow to me and tell me how right I am. To insist on your own way. Guys, I have done that a million times. And it is exhausting. Just think about all the... You and whoever you're arguing with, your spouse, you just go around and around and around and around rehashing the same old thing, same old thing. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who said what? Who did what? What makes me look right and you look wrong? Stop defending yourself. Just stop defending yourself. You don't need to be to prove that you're right. Because God has justified you. He's forgiven you of your sin. You know what you can do? You can just say, just like you tell the devil when he's telling you you're guilty, just say, you're right, I am guilty. I'm dead wrong. And God justified me. You can look at the person you're arguing with and say, you know what, you're right. I was wrong. Capital W, wrong. And I have been forgiven by God and I need to be forgiven by you. And just stop insisting on your own right. It's not worth it. Stop defending yourself. Admit when you're wrong. You don't have to justify yourself to anybody. God has justified you. You don't have to do it to yourself. And therefore, you should be quick to ask for forgiveness. And you should be quick to extend forgiveness because you know how much you've been forgiven. Guys, this this doctrine is about real life. It's about relationships with people and with God. This is real life Christianity. Justification, if you just let it work its way into every area of your life, oh, what peace you'll have. What relief from feeling like you always have to defend yourself. What peace it will give you with God as well. That you're justified. Charges are dropped. Status is changed. 
condemnation is canceled. You've been pardoned and you are free. Live free. Live in the freedom of being a forgiven sinner. That's the nature of justification. It's a declaration of righteousness by the king, the judge, the Lord. Point two. What's the basis of God's verdict, not guilty? On what grounds could God possibly give this verdict of not guilty to someone he knows is guilty? How can a holy and righteous God let guilty sinners go free and still be holy and still be righteous? Do you feel this problem? People in our country right now are very angry because they believe justice is not being served. Now, whatever you think about that, whether you think they're right or wrong, that's what they believe, and that's what they're acting on. And if they're right, you can understand their anger. Because if you had a loved one who was attacked and murdered, and now you go to court, and the judge knows that the person's guilty, but then says not guilty... You would be screaming from the rooftops. This is not right. A judge can't let guilty people go free when he knows for a fact they're guilty. Now, I'm not saying that's absolutely what's happening in this situation. I'm just saying you can kind of see where it's coming from. And if that did happen, you can understand why you'd be angry. Judges are supposed to administer justice, and when they don't do it, we are rightly outraged. Well, here's God with us, guilty sinners, and he's saying, promise not to do it again? You can go. Oh, you repented? You said you're sorry? Fine, you're free. You feel this? Why this would be a problem? What's the basis of justification? How can a holy God and a righteous God let guilty sinners go free and stay righteous? And the answer is Romans 8.34. Look at the verse. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. To condemn. There's no one who can condemn us because Christ Jesus is the one who died, who was raised, who ascended to the right hand of God, and who is interceding, advocating, pleading like an attorney for us and in our behalf. The reason God can let us go, the reason God can declare us righteous is because of the person and work of Christ for us and in our place. Just as there were three parts to God's declaration, charges dropped, status changed, condemnation canceled, so there are three aspects to what Christ does for us that makes God able to do those things. 
Let's run through these. First of all, the reason our charges can be dropped is because Christ takes away our sin through His death on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. He bore our sins in His body on the tree, on the cross. He took our sin on His shoulders and mounted the cross with that weight bearing down upon Him. He bore our sin for us. Second, the reason our change of status is possible, the reason God can say we're not guilty, is because Christ suffered in our place. You and Jesus have traded places. He takes all your sin and He goes to the cross in your place. 1 Peter 3.18 Christ suffered and died once for sins. The just for the unjust. The just one, singular, in the place of, in behalf of, the unrighteous many. The one for the many, the righteous in place of the multitude of the unrighteous. He suffered and died with our sins upon His shoulders on the cross in our place. And He also bears our condemnation. That's why your condemnation is canceled and your condemnation, your penalty and punishment has been pardoned because Christ took it for you. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Paul can say this to us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no wrath. There's no punishment. There's no doom and destruction. There's no penalty left for you, Christian. God has no wrath left in His heart for you if you're in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the, uh, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, meaning as a sin offering, as an atonement for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Whose sin was condemned? Jesus' sin? Your sin. Whose flesh was it condemned in? Yours? No. His. Your sin goes to Him, and it gets condemned in His crucifixion and death. God condemned our sin in His Son, not in us. Romans 8, 4, here was the reason. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The law requires us to be righteous in God's sight. Christ takes our sin. He takes our condemnation. He cancels it in our place 
and in our behalf. And now the requirement to be righteous is fulfilled because he took our sin away. We committed the sins. He took them from us. And since we don't have sin in us anymore because of Christ, God can say, not guilty. Not only this, not only does Christ take our sin, but Christ also gives us His perfect righteousness. Christ gives us His righteousness. Let me read this to you from Romans chapter 5, where Paul speaks of Christ giving us His righteousness. He's comparing Jesus to Adam. The sin and death and condemnation we get from Adam compared to the righteousness and life we get from Christ. Listen to this glorious comparison. Romans 5, 16. The free gift, it's not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment, all right, courtroom language, the judgment following one trespass Brought condemnation. Adam and Eve take the fruit. It's one sin. And as a result of that, condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. One sin from Adam and Eve brings condemnation for many. All of us. But Christ's righteousness follows our whole life of sin, and at the end, He gives us righteousness, justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There is a free gift of righteousness, and it comes from Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Unbelievable. Because of Christ, He takes all of our sin and He gives us His perfect righteousness. For you to be righteous in God's sight, for Him to say not guilty, you need to be not guilty. Or He would be unrighteous to declare you that. But He's not unrighteous because in Jesus, all your sin is taken away and all His righteousness is given to you. And that's the basis of Him saying, you are justified. You are not guilty. You can go free. If you stood there on your own, you'd be lost. But because you stand there in your mediator, in your advocate, in your Savior, He steps before you and says, this one's mine. And He shows the Father the nail-pierced hands. He says, look upon the sacrifice I offered for these. I claim them As my own. Behold, Father, I laid down my life for them. And we sing about this in that song, Before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea. 
He's our sacrifice. He's our advocate. He intercedes for us. He shows us. He shows the Father his sacrifice. And his Father accepts that sacrifice. And therefore, he can accept you. You see, you are a forgiven sinner. And that's why you can have peace with God today. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. No condemnation is left for you. Jesus took it all. And what's left for you is all of His grace, all of His mercy, all of His love, all the peace that He can give your soul. That's what He gives to you. Because you are justified Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. No one can condemn you. No one can sentence you to hell. No one can write you off with the Lord. You are a forgiven, justified sinner. You have peace with Him. So when that guilty conscience comes up, you don't just preach to yourself that I have been justified by God. You also preach to yourself, Christ is has taken away all my sin and all my punishment. And in Him alone, I stand righteous. And you just cling to Him. You don't say, well, Lord, I have such good intentions and my motives were so pure and I, and I really tried my best. And Lord, you know, won't you please? You can't do that. That's not enough. You need Christ. You just pray in His name. Why don't we pray in Jesus' name? Because He's the only one who's the way of the Father. We go to Him, we go to God through no one else but Jesus. You have peace with God. And because your sins have been dealt with, you can have peace with your past. Some of you struggle with guilt from sin you committed years ago. The life you once lived. Things you've done since you became a Christian that you have remorse over, that you regret. Wounds from long ago that twist us in knots years after the fact. People who have wronged you that you still harbor some resentment for. And even if you say years later, yeah, I, you know, I don't really hold that against him anymore. If somebody asks you what happened and you start telling that story, those old flames start coming up. Those old wounds get pricked and opened and you start bleeding that resentment again at that person who wronged you. And you want to get them back or you want to see them brought to justice or you want to see... Yourself finally vindicated, yes, I was right and they were wrong and they deserve what's coming to them. As we harbor that old bitterness, we harbor that old resentment, we can have peace with our past today though. And if you can't make peace with your past, you will not have power in the present. Something will be holding you back, that old root of bitterness in your heart. But you can remember, I've been forgiven all of my sin. I can forgive other people theirs. And ultimately, I can forgive myself. 
You can't believe God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. God's higher than you. Christ is better than you. He took your guilt, Christian. He took your sin away. So you can overcome that old regret. You can be free from that old guilt. You can lay that down at the feet of the cross, at the feet of Jesus, at the foot of the cross, and you can say, God, you already died for these sins. You can take this, and you can begin to heal me through the doctrine of justification in Christ. He is your righteousness. You don't have to prove you're right. He is your peace with God. You don't have to make peace with God yourself. He's the one who takes away all the guilt and stains of your past. You can make peace with your past. And you can even make peace with that old enemy you still hold that old grudge with. Because Jesus is the great peacemaker. Jesus is the one who reconciles. We need to live like forgiven sinners. Quick to admit wrong. Quick to ask forgiveness. Quick to forgive others. And let the Lord begin to heal us. Last point, and we'll close with this. We've seen the nature of justification. God declares us righteous. We've seen the basis of justification, the person and work of Jesus for us and in our behalf and in our place. And last, the means of justification. How do you get this? How do I get justified? Where does the pronouncement not guilty come from? How do I lay hold of this? How can I make the work of Jesus mine in my life so that I know I'm right with God and I can have this peace with God and peace with my past and peace with people in my present? Where do I get it? How can it be mine? The Bible is abundantly clear. There's only one way. Faith alone. We are justified through faith alone by putting all of our trust, all of our hope, all of our reliance, receiving and clinging to Jesus alone through faith alone. Bowing the knee to Him is the only way to do it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. He takes our sin, we get His righteousness. How? Only through faith. Galatians 2.16 We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's like, Paul, you said the same thing three different ways. Not by works, by faith. Now, it's not of works because it's of faith, and we know it's by faith because it's not of works. Like, okay. <laughs> like, you see how Paul's is like, he's just shaking these Galatians like, get it, get it, get it. Faith, guys. Faith in Jesus is all you need. Faith alone. Or as Paul says back here in Romans 4, he's talking about Abraham and he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Right, Your wages at work aren't a gift from your boss. That's what he owes you. That's what your boss has to give you because you earned it. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. By faith alone, Christian, that's how you get justified. Not by your own striving, not by your own effort, not by your own work. It's Christ alone, it's grace alone, and it's faith alone. And anything else is another gospel that gives you another religion. This doctrine is the cornerstone of our firm foundation. This is the dividing line of the gospel. This is the article on which the church stands or falls. So ask yourself, how do I have a gracious God? How do I know I have the mercy of God? The answer can only be not in your performance, not in your intentions, not in your motives. It can only be found in God's promise in the blood of Christ to be merciful to those who believe. Period. Christ alone and nothing else. Christ alone and nothing else. Are you resting today, Christian? Are you resting and trusting in Christ alone as your perfect righteousness, as your only Savior, as the only hope of why your sins can be forgiven and you can have life with the Lord forever. What are you trusting in? What are you looking to? Are you mostly trusting in Christ, but also trusting in something you get to add to what He has done for you? Or are you just saying, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling? I am yours, save me. And teach me how to live as a justified, forgiven sinner. That's where we have to be, church. And that's how I invite you to close with Christ today. Come to Christ today and just lay it down. Lay down your effort. Lay down your old sin. Lay down your whole self at the feet of a perfect Savior. And know that God promises, if you do this, He will save you. You will be justified from all sin and all condemnation forever. Come to Christ today. Bow the knee at His cross and let Him make you whole and new. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the gospel. 
Thank you so much for this perfect gospel that saves us completely. Thank you that our righteousness is not found in our own best intentions. It's not found in our own best efforts. It's not found in us trying our hardest to be good and be religious and keep our moral nose clean and be upstanding and decent people and good citizens. It's it's none of that, Lord. It's all a distraction. May we not put our hope in our own religious zeal or our own performance. May we not be distracted by those things. Oh Lord, let us today put our faith squarely, firmly, completely in Christ alone and in the mercy you have promised us in his blood. And may we stake our lives on that, even if it cost us our lives. May we bank completely on you, cast ourselves totally upon your arms today. Lord, forgive us of our sin. Pronounce us just. Wrap us in the golden chain. We have been called by you. And if we believe in Christ, we have been totally justified from all our sin. And you have no wrath left for us, but only grace. Oh, help us to live in the fullness of that grace. To look at your fatherly heart. And to see the laughter and joy you have. To see how good and pleased you are with us. Only because of Christ. And may we cling to his righteousness as the only hope of our salvation. Lord, I pray anyone here who does not know you, that you draw them close to you today. And may they put their faith in you. All their hope, all their confidence. And may they find peace with you today. And may that peace begin to work itself out in their lives. Help us all to live in your peace and to extend it to others. To forgive as we have been forgiven. Heal us, Lord, of our old wounds. And let the righteousness of Christ do its great work in our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.